I must say, I, I, I thoroughly enjoy worshiping with our band. Thank you so much for leading us in worship, Jesse and the rest of the crew and the tech crew in the back. I don't know, it was just warming and good for my heart this morning, so I appreciate that. Uh, so a little bit of family business. Uh, I want to talk a, a quick announcement uh, because a new year is coming, right? So <laughs> I know we just finished Christmas and that's a busy season for a church and it was busy for us, but we're excited uh, because community groups have been on break, on holiday break for a little while, but we begin in a couple weeks already, which is super exciting. So I, I want to take this brief moment to share a little bit about community groups. So first, what is the heart of a community group? What do community groups do? Well, they, if you're not in one, they do three simple things. First is they study and get to know God's word better together. Um, they study God's word and they, they love that. Second, they care for one another. Um, so there, there's tons of these one another's in the Bible that they get to practice and, and interact with, with each other, right? So not only are they studying to learn more about God, but they do that and they put it into practice with the one another's. And third, they pray together. Um, and they pray and they care for one another through prayer. Um, that's what community groups and the heart of community groups, that's what they do. And that's what the purpose is of them, right? So when do they, when do they meet? So if you're not in one, uh, they meet throughout the week. Um, we leave Monday nights free for, for the church. So um, no community groups meet on Monday night. But every single other day of the week, we have a community group. So there's one on, there's Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. There's one on Saturday, and I think that one's in the afternoon. And I think we also have Sunday in the afternoon and Sunday night we have a couple. So there are plenty for you to choose from. Um, they are doing pandemic-friendly things. So some of them, uh, you know, are trying to social distance. We're trying to stay under 10, things like that. So we're trying to stay safe for those of you that are worried about those things. Um, where do they meet? Well, they meet all around the area. We have some in Jackson. We have a bunch in North Canton. We have some way, way out near Canal Fulton. We have some in Uniontown. So they meet all over. Um, so come and check them out. Um, and then lastly, how do you sign up? Well, you check out missionviewchurch.org. Go on there. There's a groups tab. And you can see the list of all the leaders, where they meet, what time they meet. Um, and you can just click sign up. Some of them even meet virtually for right now uh, just to keep uh, our church family safe. So with that, uh, January 10th is the week that they're going to start. So they're starting up pretty soon. It's only in a couple weeks, which is really exciting. I'm excited for that. So... I, uh, some of my past, um, I, I got a tremendous Christmas present from my wife uh, this past Christmas, which I, I literally brought me to tears. She's such a good gift giver, but I spent uh, pretty much my entire adult life either volunteering or working for college ministry, and so I feel like anytime I have a story to tell, I, I end up with some kind of story related to college students, college ministry, or whatnot. So, so here's one. So I apologize that you guys always have to hear about college from me, but it's just some of my story, so that's what it is. But in college ministry, something that we tried really hard to do was connect to freshmen. Every single year, you know, fall was coming, we were like, all right, where are the freshmen? Who are they? How do we get to know them? And so we, we threw an event for freshmen every single year. The University of Akron was so gracious. Uh, and they, they let us uh, rent out the rec center so that we can host freshman weekend 
late night at the rec, every single Friday night, the first weekend that freshmen were on campus, which was a tremendous opportunity that we got to do at the University of Akron, right? And so over those years, I have met so many freshmen, freshmen upon freshmen upon freshmen. I'm talking to them. I'm building relationships. It has been so fun, right? So I meet them at that event. I get to know them throughout that week. We have a couple more things going on. We, we kick off our ministry on Thursday nights, right? So I'm constantly building these relationships with freshmen. And, you know, I, I start listening and talking to them, and they tell me how they're there for an education. I'm here to be an engineer. I'm here to do this. I'm here to do this. I'm here to fill in the blank, right? But sooner rather than later, you start to find out and learn a little bit more, you know, what, what are their true motives for being at college? Why do people go to college? What, what are some of the deep heart things that they really, really are there for? And this is a popular thing. You should have heard of this before. Um, a lot of them, I come to find out, are there for a college experience. Now, there's lots of things that come with a college experience, right? You, well, there's some bad things. There's some good things. You know, there's, there, that can, you can fill in the blank there with a lot of different things. But primarily, I'm going to define it like this for us this morning. They are there because they're excited to gain freedom from the rules of their parents, freedom from the rules and just things that they have to do in their high school, freedom from, uh, you know, that old group of friends that maybe, you know, or freedom, freedom from the, the town that they lived in, maybe the town had a curfew, whatever it was. The college experience ultimately, what a lot of college students go to college for is to gain freedom. They want freedom. People have the tendency to look and search for freedom all of the time, not just college students. I know I, know I was thinking about adults. You know, what, what do adults seek freedom from? This phrase called the midlife crisis came to mind. Maybe some of you are in it, right? You are in a midlife crisis where you're like, I want out of this job. I have been working for 30 years. I want out. I want freedom. Or maybe middle schoolers, if you're a middle schooler here this morning, maybe you cannot wait to get to high school because in high school we get a little bit more you know, freedom. Maybe I can schedule a study hall in the later part of the day and go home a little bit early, right? Maybe you can't wait for that kind of freedom. Or maybe for someone who's single here today, maybe you want the freedom that commitment in marriage brings. Maybe you're a single person and you're searching for that kind of freedom because commitment in marriage is a, is a huge freeing thing. Finally, you have commitment and you don't have to worry about whether or not this person that you are beginning to really have a lot of attraction for is going to up and leave you one day for some ra random excuse. There's a lot of freedom in marriage. Or a lot of teenagers, they say, oh my gosh, I can't wait to get free of my house and get my driver's license, so finally I'm free to go wherever I want. I can't wait till that happens. Or some of us who are just greatly anticipating retirement. I cannot wait to retire because finally I'll be free. I'll have all the time that I need and want to do whatever I want to do. Well, here's the question for you this morning. 
Does freedom mean we can do whatever we want? Does freedom mean we can do that? Does freedom mean we can choose and spend our time and do anything we want to do? Today, we're going to learn a little bit about Christian freedom. But before we discuss this, I want to take a brief moment to review where we have been in 1 Corinthians. We have been on a journey uh, together through the, the, the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians, that's where we're going to be this morning. But real quickly, I want to review where we've been this past fall, so the last couple months. We started studying in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We read a greeting, there was some thanksgiving, and then right away this book got heavy. This letter went deep and intense because Paul just struck it to the Corinthians. He said, what is it with all these divisions in the church? Right? So our series was called One Goal or One God, One Goal, One Body. Right? And so we learned about divisions. We learned about the difference between uh, worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. We started learning about what it meant to proclaim Christ crucified, right? When we preach and when we talk to other people, the goal is to proclaim Jesus Christ and the gospel and the good news of him and nothing else, right? And give credit for all the good works. We learned about what a good leader is and how to be a good leader. And then we got a little more personal and acquainted with our own sin. Uh, Our series was called God Meets You in the Mess. Right? We went through 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and in chapter 5 we learned about sexual immorality and some of the consequences of that. We went through lawsuits and whether or not you should sue a Christian or not. We talked about how to flee from sexual immorality. Then we got super specific in different groups of people and their different seasons of life. Whether you're single, these are some things you should live by. Whether you're married, these are some things you should live by. Whether you're engaged or widowed, these are some things you should live by. We went through all of those things, right? And we learned that through all of this messy stuff, God meets us there. Well, today we're going to begin a new series called Train Like a Champion. We're going to be studying 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And the following is what we're going to learn this morning. You are free in Christ from idols because of your relationship with Jesus so that you can love. That's what we're going to learn this morning. So you can go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And while you're doing that, I am going to pray for us before we read God's word. Lord God, I am so excited to learn what you have for us as a church this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we've been able to celebrate with our families the birth of your Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much that we get to open up your word and learn what it means to truly be free. And so help us this morning to walk out of these doors and put to practice what biblical freedom, what true freedom looks like. Speak to us, convict our hearts, and change our ways. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So I'm going to start reading for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, But love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. 
But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So here's the first answer to our question this morning. Does freedom mean you can do whatever you want? Well, the first answer is you are free because of your relationship with Jesus. See, in verse 1, Paul brings up this question that the Corinthians have been asking him, right? We've been following some questions that the Corinthians have been asking. We're shown this starting in chapter 7, and he continues that. So he brings up the question, now concerning food offered to idols. So the Corinthians are wondering, well, there's all these people that are pagans around us worshiping these gods that we believe is not the one true God, and they're sacrificing this food. Are we allowed to eat it? It's food. We're hungry. Can we eat this food? Well, it's interesting because he doesn't directly answer the question right off the bat. What does he do? He brings up a spiritual principle. Right there in verse 1, we all know that all of us possess a knowledge, and this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So the question is, what is this knowledge that Paul is saying that we have, right? The Corinthian church have, likewise, we also have. We have this knowledge. Well, we know about all this pagan sacrifice. We know that we all possess knowledge. And this knowledge that he's talking about is the gospel. That's it. It's plain and simple. The knowledge Paul is talking about is the fact that they know the good news of Jesus Christ is that he has died on the cross suffered the death that we deserve, resurrected from the dead, to do what? Save us from our sins. Because we were saved from our, or because he saved us from our sins, that is the good news, that if you believe it, you have that knowledge. But it's interesting because he says, knowledge puffs up, right? I was thinking about this phrase, puff up, this morning and praying, and I was like, man, this puff up phrase, how do I explain it? Well, it's like a balloon, right? When you puff into a balloon and you're blowing it, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and it gets huge and fills this massive space, but what's inside? Pretty much nothing, just air. It's, it's void of a lot of substance. It has no weight. It has no density. It kind of just puffs up and floats away, and it's really not worth much. Right? Knowledge puffs up, but love actually builds up. So we need to understand this a little bit more. So he goes on to say in verse 2, If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does yet not yet know as he ought to know. I was studying this verse, and as I was studying, I could not help but think of this great book that I read. It's one of the best books that I think every American or you know, English-speaking Christian should read. It's called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And basically, the thesis or theme of this book that he talks about is the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. He talks about this difference throughout the entire book. And I bring it up because I think this is exactly what Paul is talking about in verse 2. 
There's a difference between just knowing about God, knowing the message and good news of the gospel and who Jesus is and what he's done for us, right? There's a difference between knowing about that versus actually knowing God and having some substance behind that knowing. What does that substance look like? Well, it looks like how do we behave because of what we know about God? How do we now behave, right? Those are some of the questions that Packer kind of goes on to talk about. Right, so our knowledge of God cannot simply just lead to us being puffed up and knowing that we're free, knowing that we're, we have eternal life. That's not what it should lead to. It should lead to changing the way we behave. So if you've never read Knowing God by J.I. Packer and are looking for something more in your Christian walk, I would love for you to read that book. I highly recommend it. Now verse 3. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So how do you know that you have eternal life? Well, it's, do you love God? Do you come here on a Sunday morning excited to hear from his word? Do you open up your scripture or take some time to pray and your heart kind of leaps out of your chest like, I'm ready for this. I'm hungry for this. That's kind of what Paul's getting at here. And there are times when we're not always like that, and that's okay. It doesn't mean you don't have eternal life, but usually when a person has the Holy Spirit within them, there's this thing that starts to happen where your life begins to change, you love God, you show up to church, you open up this Bible hungry. There are definitely times where it's like up and down, and that's totally understandable. But in the end, when something happens, where do you turn to? Where do you go? Do you love God? Well, this idea of knowledge, uh, you know, studying it a little bit deeper, um, This word, it really means an understanding of and relationship with God. This knowledge should not just be something that puffs up, but no, it should move us to love God and have a relationship with God. It's crazy to me that we can know about the truth and not have eternal life. But it's true. James 2.19 says, Even the demons believe and shudder. Even the demons believe and shudder. You see, love builds. So what is love, right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago, too, when I was up here. The love that's being talked about there is agape love. It's unconditional. You don't, love people or love God because of what he's done for you, because of what someone's done. No, it's, it's under, no matter what God puts you through, you're called to love him because guess what? The way God loves you is that you have sinned against him, you've missed the mark, you've hurt him, but you can't ultimately, right? And under, it doesn't matter what you've done, he's died for you on the cross, doesn't matter the condition of your love for him. He will always love you, right? It's not like the Hallmark movies. It's sacrificial, unconditional love. That's the kind of love we're talking about this morning. I remember when my wife Jen and I started dating. We, uh, 
the first date, we went rock climbing together. It was really nice. Um, and then I, that wee guy made dinner for her, asked her out. And as soon as, like, we kind of labeled it, right, this is a relationship. We had that DTR moment, define the relationship. And when we had that moment, you know, after that, I don't, I can't remember if we had any day where we didn't talk to each other. Pretty much every day since, we have had some sort of communication, whether it's text or phone calls late at night. I remember I was living, I was done with college at this point, but I was still living with a roommate, and I was living in a duplex where like six other girls were on the other side. So the walls were kind of thin, people could hear, right? So I didn't like being on the phone with my girlfriend when there's people on the other side, my roommate's there. So I remember I would walk up and down the street. I lived in South Akron, so it was a little dangerous. I would walk up, up and down the street just talking on the phone from like 10 p.m. to midnight. Like I, I just, I couldn't help it, I, and neither could Jen. We wanted to be in communication with each other. We were growing our, in our intimacy with each other. And then we got married, and we grow in our intimacy some more. We move in together. We keep growing. We have a baby. We keep growing. This is what a relationship with God looks like and should look like. Right? When, when you first get to know God, you're on fire, right? All you want to do is read this book because you're like, oh, my gosh, it says so much. It's so good. At some point, it, you know, it goes down a little bit. But that relationship, you keep going back to it. And you keep wanting to grow in intimacy. You want to eat this book like a steak dinner or whatever your favorite food is. But that's what Paul is talking about here, right? When we have knowledge of the gospel and we have knowledge that God loves us, we are hungry for what God gives us. And that's what proves that we have eternal life because we're hungry for his word. It's an intimate relationship. And so you are free because of your relationship with Jesus, right? Do we have freedom? Yes. We have freedom because of our relationship with Jesus. So let's keep reading in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to move to verse 4. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. The second answer to the question, does freedom mean you can do whatever you want? Well, it's this. It's you are free in Christ from idols. Remember the idol sacrifices we were talking about? There were pagan idol sacrifices everywhere in Corinth. If a Christian was going to a wedding, it was basically impossible to not experience idol worship or some part of the wedding devoted to idol worship. If you went to a festival or a party, well, the kind of food that was always served at a festival or a party, even with your neighbors or your friends, it was the food that was given in idol worship. It was sacrificed in a temple to pagan gods. 
Right? So to be a Christian in Corinth, it was pretty much impossible to avoid idol food, uh, uh, food sacrificed to idols. Basically impossible. So we have to ask ourselves this question. What is an idol, right? So what is an idol? Because we understand what an idol is to the church in Corinth and the people there. But today, we see idol worship all around us, even today. Right? Back then it was food to to other gods. Well, today, basically anything that can replace your worship of God is idol worship. So since we're on the topic of food, it is possible to idolize our relationship with food. What does that look like? Well, it may look like gluttony. It may look like, you know, an overview or too high of a view of healthy eating. Like, no, 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 I can't eat that. I only eat fruits and vegetables or whatnot. Our relationship with food can be an idol. Other forms of idol worship today, maybe, maybe you worship a celebrity. Oh my gosh, Bruce Willis. I don't know. <laughs> serving, serving at church. <laughs> I just picked a name. I couldn't. <laughs> Ser, serving at church can also be an idol. You can view a ministry team you serve on as so important. It, you can literally idolize your service at church if you replace that from worshiping God. You can idolize a sports team, right? You spend so much passion, time, and energy, so much more for your fanhood of a certain sports team instead of at church or for God. So because of our gospel relationship to Christ, here's the crazy thing. We are free to enjoy all of these things. We are free to enjoy Bruce Willis movies. We are free to enjoy... Uh, serving at church. We are free to enjoy being a fan of a sports team. We are free to enjoy food, right? I don't, I don't want to just eat food. You know, I can't eat as much as I used to. So now when I eat, I'd rather eat something good. You know what I mean? I, I want a good food. So, and we are free to enjoy those things. You know why? I got so intense that my page flipped. Sorry. Verse 4. This is why. What is an idol? An idol has no real existence. An idol is nothing. Right? What are idols? They're lies. Idols are things in creation that God has created that we replace for God. And really, it's nothing. It has no power over us. So we're free to enjoy all these things. You are free in Christ from idol worship. Let's keep reading verse 7. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God, but we are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged 
if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. And the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So the third answer to our question, does freedom mean you can do whatever I want? Well, you are free in Christ to love. So Paul's answer to the Corinthians the long way around is to say yes. You can eat the meat sacrificed to idols. You are allowed to eat that meat. Because remember, an idol is really nothing. I mean, yeah, those other people are worshiping these pagan gods in the temple and putting this food there, and it's food. It's really, it's not really an idol. It's, it's, it's a lie. It's, it's nothing. So yes, you can eat the meat. And here's what that means for us. It means that we are free from our to-do list for God. We are free from the to-dos and the don'ts. We don't have to do anything for God. You do not need to do anything for God because guess what? You believe you have eternal life and you're going to heaven. You are free from your list of to-dos. That's what that means. But there is one limit to your freedom. There's one limit. One limit. This is it. It's love. What's your limit? It's to love. I have an example of this. There are tons of different types of churches out there, right? And there are a lot of different views of the way alcohol should be viewed or the way God talks about alcohol, right? And so that you have some churches in a group where it's like, no, 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 no. Alcohol is bad. You are never allowed to drink alcohol. It stays over there. No, 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 no. Then some groups over here, let's say, well, alcohol in itself isn't necessarily bad. It's our relationship to alcohol that can be bad. Right? And Basically, there's a line there, right? You can enjoy some alcohol, but if you get drunk, then it's called a sin, right? Because getting drunk would surrender your control of yourself to sin, right? So those are the two groups and the two ways you can view alcohol. So if a strong conscience, so Paul talks about this conscience, a strong conscience would kind of sit in this kind of camp over here where you can have some alcohol and enjoy it. However, don't get drunk. That's the strong conscience. The weak conscience is over here where it's like, no, 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 abstain from alcohol at all costs because all of it is sinful, right? Okay, weak conscience view. Okay. The conscience, we have to talk about the conscience for a second. The conscience is a neutral entity. It's kind of uh, the way we make decisions and our, our inward, our inward uh, desires and what comes out, right? So scenarios of a weak conscience with alcohol. 
There might be reasons why there is a, someone has a weak conscience here. And I think this is very important because when we start talking about weak and strong, we all want to be strong, right? So this is important because sometimes someone having a weak conscience isn't necessarily their fault, right? So here are some scenarios where someone may have a weak conscience in regards to alcohol, and it's not necessarily their fault. Maybe it's someone who may have grown up with an alcoholic parent, right? So the idea of alcohol, they've seen how horrible that can be when when someone doesn't, you know, operate with alcohol well. That person might live the rest of their lives just simply with a weak conscience with their relationship with alcohol. It's like, no, I'd rather abstain. I'd rather stay completely away because I've seen it go bad. Another person might have struggled with alcoholism in their past, right? They know that they have not been able to control themselves in the past. So therefore, because they know they can't control themselves to just have one or maybe two drinks, they're going to just abstain completely. Or number three, a person who maybe longs for alcohol at the end of their day, right? Their stress, the way they get rid of stress in their lives is they turn to alcohol, right? And maybe it gets a little out of control. And they know that in themselves, so they'd rather just stay away from it completely. Right? There are scenarios in people's lives where they can have a weak conscience and it's not necessarily their fault. It's, I don't know, their circumstances, God's created them that way. They have a weak conscience in their relationship with alcohol. Now, alcohol is just one example, right? We've, we've listed other types of idol worship today, right? Sports teams, all those other things. In all of these scenarios, you have a weak conscience and a strong conscience. And we have to be careful because our limit is what? It's love. And all these people that have that weak conscience towards an idol towards something that they see happening that they just don't have control over themselves in that regard or the Holy Spirit hasn't kind of matured them into that process of having safety surrounding this whatever it is that God created. All of these people, you know what they need? From the people in this camp with the strong conscience, those people over there, they need your love. They need your love. So what does that look like? I, uh, I've spent more of my years as a single person than I have married. Okay, For some of you, that's not true in this room, but for most of us, it probably is. And I remember a time where I was with six other guys. We were hanging out. We were, it was kind of like a dead space. We were all working together. It was kind of dead space where we were waiting for something to happen. We had like 15 minutes or a half hour. We were just waiting for people to arrive. We were doing something. I can't remember. But all the other guys I remember in the room were married, and I was in my 20s, not married. And I'll never forget, you know, they were having a great conversation about how much they enjoyed and loved, like, different scenarios of sex with their wives. They were talking about sex with their wives. Not bad. They're all Christians. It was great. And I was so thankful that they could have such a heartfelt, good conversation about sex with their wives. But me sitting there as a single person, oh, that was hard. 
right? I was a single person with a weak conscience in regards to sex, right? There's history in my past with sex. Uh, you know, like there's, there's history there that I was like, I am broken in this area. I have a weak conscience. and Oh my gosh, I was longing to have a strong conscience and have a married, have a spouse, be married, have sex, enjoy that, have children. I was longing for that as a single person. But then hearing my friends talk about it around me where they got to enjoy it and it was great and I just wasn't, I couldn't yet. Oh, that was such a hard conversation to sit through. I remember, I, I don't even remember what was said. I just remember the topic was up. I was there for maybe a minute. I couldn't handle it. I looked at one of my friends. I said, hey, you want to go play some ping pong? I had to get out of the room. I had to, I had to get away. I couldn't handle it. It, it hurt too bad, right? I mean, that was the scenario. That was a season of life I was in. It wasn't my fault that I had a weak conscience. It's just where I was, right? So sometimes it looks like that, right? To love someone with a weak conscience, it just looks like not having that conversation around that person, not indulging in such and such thing around this person because they just can't, they're not there yet. And that's okay. You find other things in common to do. See, you are free in Christ to love. And that's the limit of our freedom, Christians. So back to our initial question, does freedom mean we can do whatever we want? Freedom does not necessarily mean we can do whatever we want. True freedom, biblical freedom, is actually in Jesus Christ. And Jesus gives us the power to love instead of seeking our own selfish ambition with our strong conscience. We're allowed to indulge in these things and we can do whatever we want, sure. We're not going to lose our salvation over things like that. But man, isn't it better to love because love builds up the people around you? That's the kind of freedom Jesus Christ exemplified on the cross. That's the kind of freedom we are called to as Christians. And I need to mention someone else here at this point. And that someone else is actually the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus doesn't work alone. He sent us a helper. And what does that helper do? That helper prompts us. That helper controls us. That, that helper is the, the Holy Spirit, God himself, indwelling in us. And that's who we submit ourselves to. We submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit because God sent him to us. And here's the best thing. We all long for freedom, and rightly so. Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And it's when you submit yourself to the Holy Spirit, that's when you actually experience true biblical freedom in Christ. That's the freedom you're actually longing for. And I'm telling you this because it's totally true. Don't let your temporary vision of freedom here on earth Inhibit the true biblical freedom only the Holy Spirit knows that you can have. We are not strong enough to know what we desire and want to be free for. We don't know. Only God does. 
So don't put your hopes and dreams in temporary freedoms that life brings along, like college or retirement like we talked about before. Put your hopes and dreams in Christ, and there you will find true freedom. You are free in Christ from idol worship because of your relationship with Jesus so that you can love. Let's pray. Lord God, we all long for this true freedom. We don't deserve it, and it's by your grace that we get to experience it. So God, help us. Help us today to look to you, to experience the freedom that we can't even see. But we know that you have in store for us a freedom that surpasses all understanding. Lord, help us to experience this. Thank you, Lord, for your word that makes us so plain to us how we can experience these things. May we turn to you in worship of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in your name I pray.